Hey everyone, you're listening to Something Real. On this week's Something to Talk About portion, we're discussing a little bit more about what Rich talked about on Tuesday's episode. And for me, when we were talking, that meant really figuring out, you know, why Jesus was was coming to these people, these outcasted people, you know, the tax collector, the man with leprosy, and, you know, what was the reason for that, and how can we relate that to our lives today. So you'll you'll hear some of my questions throughout this conversation and I hope that it can help answer some of your questions as well. So enjoy. Okay, so we're staying in Luke chapter five this week, uh, moving forward. And the first thing that's coming to my mind when we're talking about uh, these passages is the scene from Hunchback of Notre Dame. When <laughs> I did not see that coming. When but. Underrated Disney movie. Kind of adult Disney movie, but... I remember that. <laughs> but the scene when Esmeralda is walking through the church singing God Help the Outcasts. Okay, And all that's right. kind of what all I'm right. thinking yeah. of because this is, this is Jesus. Theme music, I can right? feel it coming. It's coming in the background. Jesus is essentially helping those who... Other people are like, why are you helping that person? Right, yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of what we're getting here. You know, that, that is interesting that you mentioned that because one of the things that really bugged me about that movie was the portrayal of the church and Christians right. as against the outcasts all right. the time. And, uh, and so I think sometimes in our modern interpretations, we take that farther and differently than what the author intended sure. in, in writing it. But anyway, uh, but yeah, you're, you're right. Jesus is in these three scenes... Or let me say, Luke is in these three scenes emphasizing once again that uh, Christ did not come for the the insiders. For um, while he came to his own, he came to the chosen people of Israel. Um, he wasn't coming for those who had that internal, that inside connection. Uh, he, he was coming for those who would receive it. And so, as he is going out and doing the fishing for people that he just mentioned to to Peter and the fishermen there. Um, he's not looking for the high-class people. He's not looking for those who have it together and represent him well. That's not his purpose. And he's some people looking. are put off by that. Absolutely. Like, why In are fact, you dealing with these people? Yeah, I would not- say most all of the religious people, most of the good people, not just that we, you know, we give the Pharisees a bad name. The Pharisees are primarily used here not not used in the writing sense, but they're seen, they're visible because they are the protectors of virtue. They are the protectors of God's holiness through the law. They're the ones who have gone overboard to make sure that we don't do anything that's going to dishonor God. And in the process, then they dishonor God. We, we, we become legalists and we get above the line of the text of Scripture. So um, as we see that, it's not just them, it's, it's the regular folks. Anybody who uh, considered themselves to be upright and good and somehow worthy of of God's love and and favor and better than these other sinners and tax tax collectors and and other, you know, outcast sort of people. Um, Those are the folks who seem to be bothered by Christ's ministry throughout it and and get worked up about uh, his disciples. And later on, even in the book of Acts, uh, the the sequel, if you will, that, that Luke writes about what happens after Christ ascends back to heaven, um, we see that over and over again. It's not generally that they do end up eventually facing persecution from uh, from the Romans and, and folks like that. But most of the persecution that they find in the book of Acts 
comes from the religious people, the Jews, who don't want to see outsiders brought in. They don't, you know, that's an offense um, because it dishonors God. They don't want to see anything that they that goes against the way they already feel, the way they already believe um, the scripture should be interpreted. So when Jesus comes and says things like uh, like he does in Matthew, you've heard this, but I tell you this. You've heard, you know, don't murder. I'm telling you, this is a heart issue. This is bigger. You've heard don't commit adultery. I'm telling you, if you're looking at someone the wrong way, you've already got that junk in your heart. This is a sin issue that's deeper than you imagine. Mm -hmm. And so now when he's coming here, the physical healing is one thing. And he does some pretty weird stuff uh, by social standards with that. But when he starts to get into... Um, those who have offended the tax collectors, the you know the adulterers, the you know those people that are considered to be bad people, uh, that's when folks who seem to have their lives together get offended. They get worked up by that because, well, how dare you? I've lived my whole life for God. I've been doing the right things. This person isn't even trying. They don't even care. This this Levi, this tax collector, he's still out here doing this stuff, and you're going to him. You're calling him to follow you. What about me? I've been here. I've been the faithful one. And we'll see that picture very, very well uh, later on when we see the uh, the parable of the what we usually call the prodigal son or mm-hmm. the faithful father. When this wretched, loser, rebellious son goes and, and you know takes from the dad and, and does all of the bad things that squander all of that and then eventually falls on his face and comes back and the father receives him and, and the older son's like, dude, I've been here the whole time, and I think that's I think that's a normal reaction for. <laughs> well, it is, and that, and that's it's it's a normal but sinful reaction, right, right. and that's where um, Luke is is showing us throughout this gospel that Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost, not that which is already found. the The shepherd leaves the ninety nine to get the one. Mm-hmm. That doesn't even make any sense. That's that's bad math for a shepherd for a farmer to say. Okay, I got. You know, if I go here and I go, I leave these guys behind and I go chase down that one, I could lose the rest of these. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I'm pretty good with 99%. I'm, I'm in a pretty good spot here. Uh, if I go chase the one, I could lose everything. And Jesus says, look, that one matters. That individual matters. And he's still, it's not that he doesn't deal with the whole, uh, and, and as we see um, church doctrine develop, a lot of the conflicts that we wrestle with, come from not recognizing that God has always, from the Old Testament to the New to now, um, has always dealt with his people both individually and corporately. But he does not, God does not, because he's God, he's not limited the way we are. uh, He doesn't sacrifice individuals so that the one person uh, so that the, the greater body uh, can be handled. He gets the individual and he gets the body. So it's sort of a, a superhero kind of concept. We're not trading lives here. We're not going to mm-hmm. give somebody up. We're going to go, the only trade is my life for all of yours. And Jesus lays himself down, eventually not in chapter 5, but as we get to the end of the book here, <laughs> Jesus lays himself down because of that love, but he doesn't do it for people who have already accepted him and have been uh, living right. He does it for the people who aren't, for the people who are so far from God that there is no other option. 
that's the nature of God's love as it reaches out. And, and in fact, as we watch the, the Old Testament picture, um, Isaiah draws it out clearly. We see it throughout, throughout so many of the prophets. But I, I think, you know, personally, Isaiah is the one that I think of when I, when I see these pictures, that God goes out of his way to say, look, I didn't choose you, speaking to Israel. I didn't choose you because of what you had to offer. I didn't choose you because you were good or you were faithful. You're anything but. In fact, you are the last people that should be chosen. Mm-hmm. You're the smallest, you're the least, you are wanderers, you constantly, every time something goes right, you turn from me when, when you're getting blessed, you forget about me and you go do your own thing. But when I found you, you were naked and poor and blind in a pool of your own blood and I covered you and I made you mine and I adopted you and treated you as a precious child and a precious bride and that's not on you. That's me. That's my character. And so God's character reaches out to, as the the old churchy saying is, to the least, the last, and the lost. And I think we see that really clearly in these three scenes. But we have to be willing to reach back. I mean, you can't just say... Yes and no. I think that that opens up a a bigger discussion as far as the the nature of... um, of our volition in it one way or another however we slice that or, or, or take it apart doctrinally you know get Calvin's and Arminians you know bickering about you know what happens on God's side of the curtain um, we still on our side of the curtain have to respond that, that's what I'm saying yeah. yeah and and so regardless of whether God reaches in and makes us respond or or if uh, from a more Ar- Arminian perspective God um, reaches in because he knows we will respond either way we still have to respond. So you, you can figure out your doctrine later. Your response matters, well, and, what and are, you have to receive it. What are even the complications of that? That's interesting. God reaching into us because he knows we'll respond. I mean, this is a totally different road we're going down here, but that's you can't say God doesn't, re- God doesn't reach into people that he thinks won't respond, right? I mean... Yeah, at the risk of, of getting into a you know that's a another five hundred year old debate or right. three hundred year old debate because um, some people never will. I mean, that's the right right. And one way or another, the Lord knows those who are His own. So right, um, where I come down in a very specific place, there's no question in my mind as I read the Scripture that um, God's sovereignty in election, I think, is is one of the clear points from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation. That if I if God did not choose me, I would not choose Him. I can't. God right. could not be choosing me because He thought, yeah, that one's going to get it. That mm-hmm. one, you know, if I if I, of all these people I reach out to, you know, a lot of them are going to reject me. But I know Zyger. He's you know he's got that heart. He's going to heck no. I'm the opposite of that. If there was any possible way that I could mess this up, I would be doomed to hell for eternity, no question. So God handles this now how does that all play out i don't know because i'm not him i only know what the book tells me Mm -hmm. and as we work through it we see from israel uh to to the prophets individually to the apostles here notice every one of the um the disciples and apostles that uh, jesus calls he calls them every time he singles out peter and those guys he chose simon's boat to get into last time he goes up to levi and as people come to him and they follow him, um, they all, for sure, are responding. There is a response to that. But Jesus singles out these the 12 in particular, we'll see later on, named by name as we go through it. 
he singles them out. They don't come and say, hey, I volunteer. Let me be this. I volunteer as tribute. <laughs> Nicely played. <laughs> you knew we had to get one in here somewhere. Uh, <clears throat> and as, uh, as he chooses them, they're not people that anybody else would choose. They're not educated people. They're not, you know, they're not uh, religious people. They're extremists in some cases. He's got at least one zealot in there and, and uh, probably more than that. Um, that are they're looking to overthrow the government. You got uh, so you're talking about terrorists and subversives that are in here. You've got uh, uh, tax collector. Uh, you've got uneducated fishermen. You've got you know folks from all these different backgrounds that um, nobody else would choose. Nobody would say, "Wow, the people will respect them." Let's let's get right. the right ones. <laughs> and I hear actually, uh, I don't mean to get too far away, but but I do see this a lot of times with with. Folks in the church getting really excited about Christian celebrities, and, and you and I talked yeah. about Chris, Pat, Chris Pratt's speech recently, and and that is a good thing. Use your platform. You know, you see the the Tim Tebow's of life that have such an opportunity to speak, or a Chris Pratt, or or somebody else uh, who is um, has a mainstream celebrity. And they're able to use that to promote the gospel, to speak about truth. And some do it well, some do it poorly. But what really bothers me sometimes is how <laughs> church folks will jump on the bandwagon and get, you know, oh, wow, you know, that person got saved. Isn't that awesome because they're, because they're famous, right? So now look what that's going to do for the cause of Christ if this famous person gets saved. And, and I'm not saying that. God doesn't use those things, but that doesn't seem to be the picture of what we have here. Very seldom do we see the the well-to-do and the the prominent and the prevalent uh, and the you know the folks who are uh, powerful in Scripture turn to the Lord and then a whole bunch of folks come with them. Right. It, not that it doesn't happen, and not that we don't see Paul witnessing to to rulers and and you know even seeking to to get audience with Caesar. And you know, if he gets to Caesar, Caesar's going to hear the gospel. Mm-hmm. What he does with it is up to him, but he's, he's going to hear the gospel. Well, that's great, but the stories we get are fishermen and lepers and, and you know, crooks and hookers. You know, that, that's who Jesus is going after. Because it isn't about those natural connections. It's about the supernatural reality of the Holy Spirit of God moving in his people. And when we look through the book of Acts, you'll see some wealthy, Joseph of Arimathea at the, um, at the cross of Christ. I, I jumped into Acts and back to the Gospels, but um, is a wealthy man who is following Christ and does a great thing in, in burying Christ in his own new tomb. But where else do you see him? You don't see, well, a bunch of people came to Jesus because this wealthy guy followed him. So, you know, let's follow the man of influence. Uh, I'm excited at the possibility of, of thinking that um, President Donald Trump could, uh, could you know, be saved during his time in the White House. I, I don't know. I've never met Donald Trump, although I, I heard him say I've never repented of anything in one of his speeches. Well, you can't be a Christ follower and, and right. never have repented of anything. That doesn't work. So... How awesome would it be if at some point during this this tenure as president, um, the gospel connects with him and he receives the grace of Christ and is overwhelmed by it? That would be awesome. But it's not more awesome or more influential than any other believer that is surrendered to Christ. Jesus isn't trying to win presidents. He's trying to save souls. So those who are lost, who will receive him, 
they have the gospel. I think that's important to, to recognize, and we get it in, in this chapter with the people that he's you know, dealing with, but it's even today, it's, it's, it can be intimidating right. to, or, or overwhelming to think, who am I right. that Jesus would come to me? I'm nobody. I'm, I'm too sinful. I'm too cast out. I'm too whatever. Absolutely. And that's why when we see somebody like Chris Pratt doing all that, oh, he's great, Chris right. Pratt. And who am I? Right. So I think it's important to note that. that I think you're right on. I mean, that's, and, and we see that here. How paralyzing is it to feel like there is no hope, right? And so in these three scenes... You've Literally got, for that paralyzing. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we, you've got the leper who is an outcast. Right. You see people, you have to go the other way, shout unclean, let them know so that nobody is around you. You're totally rejected by society. In addition to being sick. I mean, it's bad enough to be right. to have this debilitating disease that is progressive in nature. And regardless of whether it's a, a you know a, a true leprosy, which uh, I believe it probably is here, or, or whether it's a, a, another skin condition like that. Right. In any case, you're still an outcast. You're nobody wants to talk to you. But then you have the the uh, the paralyzed man who can't even get himself up. He can't take care of himself. So And the, you were, we were talking before we even started recording today. He, there I mean, you think about that. He had to at least somewhat just feel like giving up. Right. You know, there's a reason it doesn't talk about his faith. He's right. not saying, "Friends, please take me in there." It almost feels like it doesn't say this, but it almost feels like they're forcing him into this they're they're dragging him in and because he's done yeah well, forget about it right. you know jesus can't do anything right for what's me, i'm know? this way this is how i am right i'm just a worthless piece of flesh right. here and i'm just gonna live out the rest of my days in yeah. seclusion until i die and uh, how many times have we as christians had to do things like that with our friends where you're especially depression I or think, our friends paralyzes. had to do that with us or exactly <laughs> that's exactly right you know and, and we fall into this pit so to speak and we're trapped and we're paralyzed and we just, it's like, I can't do anything. I give up. I have no hope. And we're not trying. And yet God reaches out to us through our friends mm-hmm. and, and reaches down to us with the gospel, despite the fact that we've already given up, we've despaired, and then gives us the opportunity to respond or calls us to respond and moves in us by his Holy Spirit to, to cause that to happen. But it's, it's those who are not making the effort. God still reaches to them. And then you look at, at Levi or Matthew, this this tax collector who is still in the middle of, of his everyday living, which uh, we're not told specifically that he's you know a cheater or a corrupt person, but that was the expectation with all tax collectors. And I think So even if he wasn't, that was what people were saying about right. him. Right. I think it's reasonable to assume that he was. I think that's, that fits the picture. Uh, it's consistent with what was known and the point of what Luke is making. Uh, and it seems to be consistent with what Jesus is doing. If he's already an upright, good guy, mm-hmm. that doesn't that doesn't fit what Jesus is doing in the rest of this. Um, doesn't mean it has to be that way. It just means that the logic is consistent as we go through it. But he's still in it. He's actually sitting as, at his booth collecting taxes, however that works out, and Jesus comes up to him and says, follow me. Now, he must have already heard about it. He must have already heard, um, you know, the teaching that Jesus right, had done. He was a hot topic. Though. Right. So maybe, you know, because uh, because Levi is a Jew working for the Romans and everybody hates him because of that, maybe he's at the synagogue and hears the teaching. Or maybe he's over by the lakefront hearing Jesus teach out there. He's certainly heard about all these things. And now this guy comes up and, and says, 
hey, follow me. And okay, he leaves everything. You don't, you don't just do that spur of the moment. I mean, that, that's not something that, that you do without already having at least some sort of thought in it. Yeah. But, but he's in the middle of it still. So if he's heard this teaching, he's heard Jesus' message has always been, repent for the kingdom of God is near. John's message, Jesus is right on board with it, repent for the kingdom of God is near. So this guy's hearing the message of repent, but it doesn't appear that he's done any repenting. And Jesus comes to him and says, now, now's the time, follow me. And then he follows him. That's the repentance. But the repentance comes after Jesus moves in him. And I think that's, that's a big part of, you know, to go back to the controversial topic you brought up, <laughs> which isn't really that controversial. We've made it, like most things, we make it more controversial than it is. The, the reason that the scriptures include so much of election language and, and you know, the, this idea that God chooses us. Because people get hung up on that. They do. And, and, and we, the devil wants us to get all twisted around about it. But the reason it's there is not so much about the, the soteriology, the, the study or means of salvation here, it, it is that. But the reason it's included is for our assurance, to recognize that, no, you're not good enough. Mm-hmm. You know, just like you were saying earlier, I, me? How could that be possible? I know me. That's not... You could have Chris Pratt. <laughs> That's right. So, you know, as you're, as you're feeling all of those things, to remember that it's not about me. God chose me. Not because I'm good, but because he's good. Just like he chose Israel. They were terrible. He chose them anyway. You look at all of the people that God chose, and he makes a point of including in Scripture the downside, the dark side, the sinful part of all of these great heroes, the, the great patriarchs, and, and you know, other than Christ, every single one of these guys that has much of a story, you get the dark side of the story as well. That's not an accident. God wants us to know, look, it's not about you. It's about me. It's always been about me. It will always be about me. And I choose to love you, even in the midst of your filth and wretchedness. And that's kind of what we see here. The end. So I think that's a good spot to, to end for today. Um, and we'll talk more about this on in your Sunday sermon. Awesome. Looking forward to it. All right. We'll see you guys next time.